Thanks, Adam. Hello, everybody. Now, how many people are parents at the moment? Ah, so I, I know if you're a parent, um, when I was, was a parent, I quickly wanted to learn about parenting. So, so how many people are not parents at the moment? Some quick, some quick answers. Why are you here? Was the other seminar boring? Or I was like, that's not supposed to be like a, a pressured question, but like, I'm just interested. What? That's great. Yeah. Any other answers? Uh, if you think about nephews and kind of my brother and his wife who have children, just thinking about taking across issues and maths and something on the end. Yeah, <laughs> you might do. <laughs> you could pray and we'll see what happens. Um, for those of you who are not parents, I, I, I thought there might be some people who are not parents and I thought, that's interesting because I would have never... I've gone to something on parenting until I had kids. Um, and then I realised, hmm, it's not as easy as I thought. I hope, blew me. Just have a seminar for mummies. That's fine. Because otherwise we'll walk through that one. Yeah, and we're, we're much, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the boss is speaking in there, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for me, so this is my story. Um, I always assumed I would get married. And I always assumed if I got married, we, I would have children. And I all, all, always assumed that we would have at least two. And all of that happened in, remarkably easily. So I was married, I was just 21 and got married. My first, uh, Hannah, I brought some pictures. Did you? This is a, this, they're a bit older now, but that's Hannah and Mamie. That's my two girls. Um, so I married Val when I was 21. At 24, I had Hannah. And at uh, 26, we had Mamie. Um, and all that was easy. I grew up in a family, working class family, but mum and dad were married for 56 years. And it only dawned on me, quite a way into my 30s, what a privilege it was to have had that background and to have found someone that loved me, that we got married, that we had kids easily because um, we had many friends for whom if any of that happened, it was a struggle and they didn't come from great parenting families. Um, so one of the things I've learned about parenting is that it's an enormous privilege. It's just a fantastic thing. It doesn't automatically happen, even if you really desire to be... Um, Parents, and I think one of the big heartaches for a married couple is if you want to be a parent and it doesn't happen, or it doesn't happen easily, that is a really big thing. The thing that's not happened, which I assumed would happen, was that we'd have grandchildren. And our girls are just getting to the stage where that's more and more unlikely. One of them's really quite seriously unwell, one single, um, and she's at the stage where just getting to the place where it's like, no, that's probably not going to ma get married and I'm not going to have kids. And even that is like, oh, I'm waking up to a sense of loss. Um, 
and that's that's interesting too. So this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share you some share with you some lessons from life, one from my life, and from David's life. So it's going to be a bit partial. So if you come for the sort of comprehensive thing about parenting, with all the top ten lessons, I can't give you those. I can tell you some of the things that I've discovered, um, and and the Bible has lots of instructions about parenting, parents, but what I learn most from really is not the instructions but the illustrations of people's lives and I think David gives us um, some really good lessons but unfortunately usually really from his mistakes rather than from his um, the things he got right. Um, so I, I, I've been quite a week so I've only just scribbled all this down although I've been thinking about it a lot so forgive me if um, I'm looking at my notes. So the first thing is just that parenting is a great privilege. So if you have children, it's one of the, I think, one of the top things that can happen uh, for you and you to realise how precious um, that is. Because although I assumed it would happen, it doesn't always happen. And the other privilege we had is that Val, who came from a very stable family, but it was a Christian family, but our family values were very similar. Um, so in my family, we never doubted that mum and dad would be together. It was never a question. I, it never entered our heads. We just thought that's what happened. People stayed together and they were together for 56 years until my dad died. But until you meet some people that haven't had that and see what challenges that brings, it's like if you've ever lived, ever lived through an earthquake, the thing that you always thought was solid, you might have seen turn to be like water. And emotionally, that happens if, you've, if you're a child and, and your parents have gone through divorce because there is a sort of natural assumption that this is stable. Home is always stable. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the place that's secure that you go out from. Um, but if you haven't had that, and some of you might not have had that, you know that makes it a difference difference it makes often makes it difficult to commit um, and because you're not sure if it's long term whereas if you grow up in a stable family you're not even well, at least for us me never even thought about would this be long term it was like that's it that's what that's how life works and I'm very glad that um, grateful that it worked like that for me I realized for me that what shaped my parenting at the beginning was my parenting that I received. So maybe just think about, about your own parenting, what, what you experienced, because we learn an enormous amount, not from what our people say to us, and even what our parents say to us, what we learn is by, by what they model to us, by what, the, what's done unconsciously. So as I say, we had stability. Um, my dad was quite passive, but he was always there. And so I always assumed stability. They were always protective. Um, and although life was um, complicated financially, we had f my parents had five children. At the age of 12, my mum's mum came to live with us. We had a three-bedroom council house, and we all lived. That's a lot of people to get in a council house, especially if you have a dog as well. <laughs> um, and my dad didn't know him very much. 
but we had the richness of just a, a sort of happy family, really. A bit crazy. I've got three sisters, and they're all crazy. Um, just to tell you about my elder sister, I had my 70th birthday last year. Well, this year, in April. And we all got together for a meal. We went into a very nice pub. It's like bistro quality pub. You know, when it's like it's 70th, so we can spend this amount of money on a meal. And uh, after a few minutes, the people in the tables around us moved to other tables because <laughs> it was so noisy. And uh, we spent, um, especially my sisters, spent the time telling family stories. And one of the family stories was when my um, dad died, we all gathered together and my sister's um, vicar came and was like preparing for the funeral and wanting stories about my dad. Um, and having introduced himself, it was all five of us and my mum sitting in a sort of semicircle, and he said, what's the pecking order? At which my older sister says, oh, peck me first. Um, which the poor vicar didn't know quite know what, what that meant. And, uh, and uh, with my older sister, I wasn't quite sure what she meant <laughs> because of um, her rather colourful um, relational life that she had. But... A lot of what you, you go into thinking about parenting, at least for me, came from the parenting um, that I received. And there were things that I loved about what my parents did. So family was always first. So that anything that threatened family would be put to one side. So job, career, anything else would, would go because family was first and that was mum and dad's relationship and the relationship with the kids. And they sacrificed lots of things to secure that. And they, you know, at one stage we nearly, my dad wanted to emigrate to Australia. In the olden days, you could emigrate to Australia for 10 pounds a person because they wanted to populate Australia. And he, it would have been a great career move for him. Mum didn't like it, so we stayed in England. Um, I'm glad, you know. Australian. Any Australians here? <laughs> um, no. But, but that's what worked out in their life. Family was first. But there were some things, and in a moment I'm going to get you to share with each other about the things that you valued from your, the parenting that you received. But there might be some things you think, we would do that differently. Um, because we're different um, people. I think... What did I have down here? So I turned to the wrong page. There, there was two things my parents said, which meant were from the best intentions, but in my personality didn't particularly help me. They always used to say, when it came to exams or anything, just do your best and it'll be all right. We'll be satisfied if you do your best, which Sounds nice, except if you're like me, and I knew I, I never did my best. I mean, I think I worked hard, but I didn't think, but the best would be revising every night, being consistent with my homework. So it actually inbred in me a sense of guilt because I didn't do my best. But they meant that it's like, we don't care about your results, we care about you doing your best. Does that make sense? But they didn't really, they didn't like intuit what was happening in me. And I didn't realise it, but I knew that I carried this sort of thing. The other thing they used to say, again, to encourage me, was Michael. My name's 
They used to call me Mick, except when they were being really serious, which was usually when they were telling me off, and then I was Michael. They said, Michael, we don't care what you do in life as long as you're happy. I mean, if you turn out to be a, you know, a refuge collector, that will be all right as long as you're happy. Which sounds good, but in, for me, that sounded like you haven't got much expectation of me. They did. You can be over-ambitious for your children, but I think my parents were overprotective in that sense because they didn't want me to be disappointed. So for a long time, early teens, I dreamt of being a pilot. And I used to get Flight Magazine, which is sort of a trade journal, and I could look in the sky and name every type of aircraft that went ahead. I was really keen. And in those days, you needed two A-levels to train to be an airline pilot with what became British Airways. And as I mentioned that to my parents, it was like, well, that's really nice, but, and they steered me away from that. Looking back, and I thought, oh, that was a shame, really. Now, I'm glad I didn't end up being an airline pilot. I don't think that was the best for me, but that wasn't their reason. They didn't think I could get my A-levels because in our background, no one got A-levels. I was the first in my family to go to university or get A-levels. But it didn't help because of the things they said. So even their good intentions had some negative consequences for a boy like me. And I thought, mm, I'm going to be really careful about what I say to my children. The other thing that they weren't good at, in fact, they failed miserably at, was the facts of life. So I don't know how, you, how good your parents have been on that. I'm 18 years old. I'm going up to what is now Un Coventry University, um, which was then called Lanchester Polytechnic, and then became Coventry Polytechnic. And now I can say, oh, I went to Coventry University, which somehow seems like more impressive. <laughs> but it's the same place. Anyway, I'm driving up with my dad, and we're going up the M1 from London, and he says, um, and we had gone started started going slower and he said, oh, Mick, you're oh, leaving home. Um, um, I suppose there's some things we should talk about. And I suddenly twigged what he was going to go into. And I thought, oh, this is going to be excruciating <laughs> for both of us. So I said, um, Dad, isn't it great that at school they cover all that sort of thing? so we don't really need to talk about it. He went, that is good. <laughs> and then from going slower, we got faster and faster until our old car felt like it was shaking and we didn't say anything for you know, about 20 minutes. But it didn't help. So when we got married and had children, before we had children, this is what Val and I said to each other, we will name, give the names of the body parts their proper names, and we teach it that to our girls. And we will not tell them fairy stories about where babies come from, but we will give them answers that are appropriate to their age. Uh, which once they, I, we realized I had, we got two girls, I thought I'm home and dry. <laughs> I guess this is easy. But when they were really tiny, they're only 20 months apart, 
they, you know, we would, in the morning, we'd walk around with no clothes on, we, you know, it was, we were very relaxed. And I would have a bath and my two little girls would come in and look and they would ask questions about different shapes. And, uh, and we did, I thought, what did we say? We said we'd say the names of the body parts properly and we did. But that's all right, I've done that bit because all the rest, the other questions will go to Val. And then one day they came in and said, Dad, where does babies come from? Oh, what do we even say? We said, we'll be honest, but age appropriate. I said, babies come from the, spec the love that a mummy and daddy have for each other. And at that first time they asked it, it was fine. That was enough, they went off. As far as I remember, it was all in the bathroom, <laughs> except the last one. The second time they came in, and it was like that, Dad, where do babies come from? Like that answer that you gave a while ago was, there's more to it. So I said, there's a special cuddle that a mummy and daddy have. Oh, that's fine. Home and dry. That's, you know, that's as far as it's going to go when it gets any. Until someone, some, some years later, our eldest came to me and said, Dad, where do babies come from? And I thought, oh, no, this is it. So I told her, to which he said, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and walked out. She didn't ask me any of those questions again. <laughs> but, so I want to give you something to do. In, in three or four or whatever, think about what you've learned about from your parents. So you think, that was good and I want to be like that if I have children, or if I do have children. That's what I'm implementing. And there is there anything that you think you would do it a bit different? Might be because you're different personalities. Life's different. I know, you know, I couldn't, one of the reasons I, at one stage, found it difficult to the idea of getting married was I love Val. I never wanted to be without her in my life. But the model of marriage I had was my mum and dad's, which was a bit boring. Dad would work hard, come home, have dinner on, on a tray in front of the TV and fall asleep. And that would happen most nights. I thought, that's not really what I want to do with my life. Um, so there will be some things just because we're in a different culture and a different age and we're different people. Um, but there might be some things like for me where you go, that, I, could, I would like to do that differently, maybe even better. Um, and if you do have children, there will be a day when they're going to say the same thing. Thank you, Mum and Dad, for doing it like that, and I'm going to do a bit different to you. So, do you fancy just having a chat? So, things, things that you would learn and would put into practice, or are putting into practice, things that you're doing differently or will do differently if you have kids. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you, but that was, that's a... Only because I've rambled on too much at the beginning and I'm running, we're going to run out of time if you're not careful. Here's a picture of my mum and dad. Sorry, the colour's not very good. This, um, this is when they were courting. And, um, and this is, yeah, just not that, not long before my dad died. Um, and uh, they were very, very sweet on each other. I think they got richer in their relationship as they um, got older. And although they weren't perfect, they were a great blessing to the five of us that were kids. Um, that was been a little bit about my life. The other one I want to look at is King David. And here's the amazing thing. He could inspire such loyalty from people. Um, and there's a story of a guy called Ittai, 
and it's eyes of foreigner. He says, David says to him, you're a foreigner and an exile. And um, the first story we read about him is David um, is, uh, is king of Israel, but there's rebellion. And the rebel forces are coming to Jerusalem. And David decides the best thing to do is a tactical retreat. So as he retreats, Ittai comes to him and says, I'm going to come with you. And David says, no, no, no. Why would, no, stay, you'll be safe. Stay here. You are foreign and exile. You don't need to do this. And uh, Ittai says, this is his great response. It's a bit like um, Ruth to Naomi. As the Lord lives and as my Lord King lives, wherever, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for life or for death, there also will be your servant. So Ittai, he just loves David. He's going to be faithful to him, whatever. The irony is that the rebel forces are led by his son, Absalom. You can be a great leader and a poor father. You can be successful as a parent in business and career and profession and anything else. And you can be really weak in your parenting. You can love God and know God and not be a great parent because David was a man after God's own heart and he messed up his family and uh, the two things particularly that come out with David's life which I think are, and the first one doesn't sound like a parenting thing one of the most important things a mum and dad can do for their kids is be faithful to each other that they put, they honour each other, they sacrifice for each other, they stay together because they love each other. If you can do that, it provides such security for your children that is a foundation on which they build. And, it's, and if you go into your life with that sort of security, it is easier. Now, there's some very successful people, and success not just in what the world might call success, who have come from families that have not stayed together, but they should be applauded all the more if they turn out to be good people, because it's more of an uphill struggle if you come from a broken background. So be faithful. Um, in Job, it says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a girl. It's like commitment. When my, the, the evening before we got married, Val's taken out by a wiser, older, godly woman who says to her, you do know that you're still going to find other men attractive. And uh, I, I've always thought it was either surprising that she ever thought I was attractive. <laughs> but it was like, you, you know, if you're married now, you, you, there will be people that there will be a spark. And it's what you do at that point yeah. that is critical. Yeah. It's like being faithful is, being unfaithful starts with little things and can grow to big things. And then it is disastrous. It is a tragedy when that happens. So I've got, I've got, I've got a lot more to say on that, but we haven't got lots of more time. So let the other thing, David wasn't faithful. He had... His first six sons were, were born by six different women. And although polygamy was allowed, um, it was never God's ideal. And it always ended up, anything to do with polygamy and the Old Testament is like 
not good news. Competition, friction, it's always, you know, it's always shown not to be the ideal, um, uh, whatever it is. So be faithful. So if you're married, how many of you married? Be faithful. If I find out, I'm going to come and kick your butt. Um, in our church team, when I was at Catford in Kings, our senior pastor would, every year, would do marriage seminars for the pastoral staff. And he would look us in the eye and say, there, there were a few, only a few things that could really mess this church up. One is disunity in this team. And the other is that you are unfaithful. And he would look at each of us in the eye and say, be faithful, be faithful. And uh, that's important. So that's what I'm going to say, right? If you're married, be faithful. If you're not married, don't think about just how much you like this person. But think about, do I want this person to be the father or mother of the children that we might have? Can I respect him or her and trust him and her to be together all the way through and to be a good dad or a good mum? And if you can't say that, don't marry. <sighs> That's my serious pastor word. <laughs> the other thing about David, and this is more practical, is David did not engage. This, the backstory to Absalom's rebellion is that one of his other sons, a, a step brother to Absalom raped Absalom's sister Tamar and David did nothing so Absalom took it into his own hands and killed Ammon at which point then David reacted and exiled Absalom for five years and then when he allowed him back into Jerusalem he still didn't talk to him so they never reconciled so that is not being properly engaged. The best thing and I, that parents can do is to be fully engaged in the kids' lives and not for either of them to abdicate. Often it's the men that abdicate, in, at least in my sort of generation, because, you know, the women are good at this or mums are better at this, but they need both to be engaged. And... Um, Here's some things that I've learned about, um, about, <laughs> about this. Engage with them, especially in their failures. So David didn't engage in Absalom when he had murdered. He just kept him at a distance. There is a wonderful story. I don't know if you know it. Derek Redmond was an athlete, 400-meter specialist. Um, in the Seoul Olympics in, when was that, 88, he, were, he couldn't compete just before the first heat because he had an injury. Four years later, having in various events won gold medals in the relay, he was destined to become a gold medalist in the 400 metres. He was the fastest time in his heat. He won his no, the quarterfinals, goes into the semifinals. 200 metres into the race, his hamstring snaps. One of the spectators said, you, it was like a gunshot, you could hear it go. So he falls to the ground and the race continues. 
he picks himself up and in, obviously in lots of pain gets, starts hopping along the track. At which point, you can see this on YouTube, someone comes out of the crowd, jumps over the fence, pushes himself past the security guards and gets to him. It's his dad. He says, you don't have to do this, son. You don't have to do this. Derek Edmund says, I've got to do this. And the dad says, if you've got to do it, we do it together. And you can see it. Dad's holding him up as they hobble along. The biggest cheer for a 400-meter race at the whole Olympics was the cheer and the applause that those two got as they crossed the line. Most of our children will not be famous athletes. Many of our children will mess up or go through severe disappointment, and some of that will embarrass us. Don't disengage. Don't step away. Step forward and be with them and help them across the line. That's critical to good parenting, is that you're engaged, especially in their failures. The other thing I learned is that the, what is incidental to you as a parent can be highly significant to your children. So there was an afternoon when Val had to do something on a Saturday afternoon when I wanted to watch the sport. Our girls are quite small. It's rainy. I'm tired and I'm supposed to look after them. So I try to give them some things to do. But every few minutes they're coming and they're obviously not going to be satisfied with me watching the TV and them doing whatever I try to set up for them. So we go out into our back garden, which has a little shelter. So it's raining, but we're out there. I find a piece, a couple of pieces of wood. And I don't know where I got the idea from. We, we sawed these tatty pieces of wood into the, at a sharp point at the end. And we rounded the back and we put a little bit of wood and we got some paint out and they were supposed to be boats. They vaguely looked like boats. <laughs> and that afternoon in my memory was like, oh, this sounds, yeah. I, it was just a painful afternoon from my point of view. Now, years later, um, as the girls have grown up, we've got most of their toys stood in our loft. Um, we've got boxes and every time we move, we go, oh, we're gonna clear these out. So that we, um, eight years ago, we moved from London to Bournemouth. So we thought we well, better sort the boxes out. So we, we opened the boxes and we never throw anything away. Because <laughs> how can you throw away Uncle Bulgaria? I mean, I, but we open the box and what's in the boxes is what they've counted precious and put in the box. To my amazement, sorry, There's some tatty bits of wood, badly painted, that vaguely look like boats. Mm. To me, it was like a wasted afternoon. It was certainly incidental what we did, but to them, highly significant, because it was a time we spent together. Mm. Much of what our kids learn is not through what we tell them, it's what they do with us or they see us doing. So realize you're, they're always watching. 
they're always hearing. Our kids are amazing at pastoral stuff <laughs> and intuitive. And we've, we've talked to them and said, how do, you, how do you do that stuff? They said, well, Dad, you had the office most of our life in the house. And we said, yeah, but we shut the door. We didn't, you didn't come into pastoral conversation. They said, but just that atmosphere. And we intuited a whole lot of stuff from the way you and mum and as mum and dad would talk about people and care for people and that we got that. We never sat down and said, here's some pastoral lessons. Actually, now they, they pastor us. And they often say, especially my youngest daughter, she'd say, Dad, I remembered what you said. And you think, oh, gracious. What did I say? Because <laughs> I said it to so-and-so. And most of the time, I'm not embarrassed by what I said. But that, that was all incidental. Right? It wasn't like a lesson I taught. You cannot believe how young children look at you as a parent. We might think we're oh, not very good. They think we're superheroes, especially when they're really tiny. And they gradually get up to know we're not perfect, but we're still highly significant. You know, that's why I say to preachers, now we can get the best preachers in the world on video. Why do we preach on a Sunday? We could have Tim Keller, you know, or whoever your favorite preacher. Every Sunday we could put him up. Why? Why? Because you, the people that shaped you most were not the best teachers you ever had, or the most impressive person they've seen on TV. The people that shaped each of us most for good or for evil, are our parents. And you will shape your children in ways that you will not even think about. And so be engaged, because they're going to engage with you. A couple of other things, because we've got two minutes. Training is better than discipline. So be help, helping them do things. My dad wasn't good at this. He was a very passive dad, whereas Val's dad was very good at this. He was always instructing. I always, when I first met him, I thought, you're always telling uh, her younger brothers what to do. And I thought it was a bit oppressive, but actually it was just very different to my dad. And they'd, they've grown up with lots of confidence in all sorts of things because they were trained by their father. And by, you know, I saw it in that particularly. Um, and if you when you have to discipline, because you have to do that if you love your kids, is the why is very important. So when my girls were teenagers, they get to the stage where they go out and it's like home at 10 and then they're home at 11. I would get furious. And they would get cross with me because it's only, but tonight I'm only 10 minutes late. And I, I would, we, we went through that a number of times and I didn't know how to handle it. And then I'm praying about it because I'm messing this up because I'm getting too angry with them. And suddenly God drops in my mind that the next time it happens, they come through the door and I say, you've got to let us know. If you're going to be late, give us a call. Just let us know. And they're like, why? It's only 10 minutes. I said, because you don't know what happens in that 10 minutes. Because my job is to keep you safe. That's why I don't know if you're safe. If you help me to do my job, it will work. And as soon as I said that, it was like, instead of, Dad, you're impossible, it was like, oh, thank you, Dad. 
and it solved it. It took me <laughs> quite a while to learn that lesson. <laughs> Tell them the why. Tell them that that's my, I'm responsible before God for you. Help me do this because I love you. It's not because I set a rule and you didn't turn up and you've broken a rule. It's because me and your mum are panicking and we don't know. And we feel like we're failing you because we're not keeping you safe. Now you can say that as they get older more. But when they're little, yeah, it's a bit more difficult to explain. But there's two other things. Your greatest legacy will probably be your kids. Some of us will be famous. One of us might have a monument. Others might have a company named after them. But the, most, the biggest legacy will be your kids properly of your life, for good or for real. Make it a good legacy. Our country and Western society has the legacy of poor parenting and insecure children. And Christians are the ones that can make a difference. There's another silly story, but I'm old enough to tell corny stories. Uh, a dad who's left like me on a Saturday afternoon, mum's out, he wants to watch the rugby on TV, and he's trying to think of something to do. So he, he finds this picture from a newspaper, which is a map of the world. So he cuts it all up and says, this is a jigsaw puzzle. See how you can do it, do you think? That take, that'd take them ages. And uh, within a few minutes, they're back saying, Dad, we've done it. And he said, he can't have done it. You're supposed to be like a map of the world. No, Dad, we have done it. And that goes on for a while. In the end, he gets up from the rugby match and he goes in. And there it is. It's all done. He said, well, how did you do that? They said, because on the back is a picture of a family. And when you, when you put the family together, the whole world is put together. When you make the right contribution to your family and to your kids, you're doing something redemptive in the world. What's your legacy going to be? When my youngest daughter got married, there was a verse that I was going to, it was going to be the climax of my, you know, the father's speech. And uh, I couldn't say it. I'm not sure I can say it, we'll say it now, but this is 1 Thess Thessalonians chapter 2. And... Uh, it's one of my favourite verses. So I gave it to her on a piece of paper as she left for her honeymoon, was this. Paul says to the Thessalonians, for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus as it, at his coming? What is our joy or our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? If you get to the end of your life and you have parented well, you'll be able to say that about your kids. This is our joy. There, for me, there is no greater joy than being a dad to these girls. They're in the mid-40s now. Christmas this year will be Christmas because they'll both be able to be with us, and that hasn't happened for a year. And it's untold joy just being together. Another thing, I'll finish with two commands, scriptural commands for parents which I think is really important. So bear these in mind. You know, if you forget anything, everything else, remember this. First command, thou shalt not kill. Because there will be days when you feel like doing it. Uh, the other, other statement is this. 
Love covers a multitude of sins. Whatever, we all have weaknesses. There will be things in years to come if we have children where someone will ask them, what are you going to do different for your mum and dad? And they will have a list. But love covers a multitude of weaknesses. And when I was first asked to do this seminar, I thought, oh, I don't want to do this because I've got lots of failures. But that my girls know that Val and I have loved them and that they love us. And that makes all the difference. So thanks for sharing. We're done. Can I just pray for you before we kick? Lord Jesus, we thank you that of all the many gifts you give to us, or you might give to us, giving us someone that we can love and commit to and who is willing to love and commit to us is a great treasure. And one of the riches of a married relationship is being a mum and a dad. Lord, I pray for those that have children that they might give the security and love to their children so that they might grow up to be their legacy in life. And for those who are looking for a partner, then Lord, guide. We don't assume that these things always happen the way we want them to happen. But we look to you because you will provide what is right for us. So bless my friends in Jesus' name. Amen.